All right, so there's three things I want to say this morning. We have two parables, three things to say. Each parable says something unique about prayer, but they both say something very similar about prayer. And so let's look at the first of these parables. So we're going to do, we're going to do some stand-up, sit-down. Uh, no, fight, 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 but stand-up, sit-down. So um, let's turn to Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. And once you find that in your Bible or your app or whatever you're looking at God's Word on, Luke 18, verse 1, once you find that, let's stand together in honor of God and his word as I read this out loud for us. Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. All right, here we go. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. This is the first of two stories that Jesus tells. And as we get in our Wayback Machine and we understand these stories in the day and time that Jesus would have told them, the image of the widow would have been an image that was very well known in the ancient world, particularly in Israel. It was a familiar one. Widows, widows were recognized by their distinctive attire. We don't know exactly what it is they wore, but various times in the Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about women who are widows, they put on the widow's garment. And there would have been in society a way to simply you look at a woman and what she's wearing and you would be able to determine what her place was in society or whether she was a widow. Now, for you and I, perhaps, we, when we think of the, the, when I say the word widow, what image comes to mind for you? And it might be, might, maybe someone who's a little older, who um, their husband passed away, but in, this is where we have to get in the Wayback Machine a little bit here, and, and the time machine, and go back in time, because in, in Jesus' day, when he's telling this parable, women got married early in their teens, and their husbands might be a little older, and so not all the time were widows actually older. There were many widows who were younger. This is why Paul in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy talks about the idea that, uh, that, there's, there's kind of, that widows need to stay active. And, and there, was, there were uh, concerns about young widows, but w- we don't know exactly what this widow was. She could have been older, but she, but she also could have been younger. There's, there's not necessarily an age issue here. Widows were often left, because of the death of their husbands, were left with little to no means of support. If a husband left an estate, according to law, it would go to the kids. It would go to the, the sons, essentially. And then she would come underneath the umbrella of that, of, that, of that son, but it would also then be under the umbrella of her husband's family. 
And there's lots of, there's lots of information in the ancient world that widows would go into, under their, if they stayed under the umbrella of their husband's family, would actually um, kind of be um, humiliated, would be in servile positions. They would not be kind of honored as, as matriarchs unless it was the, unless it was the, the mother of the, of, the, of the son, right? But, but the wife, the wife coming under, she's in a foreign family, she's not in her own family, and she would be put in a position of weakness, of, of humility, and if she returned to her own family, the money exchange at the wedding, they'd have to return that. And so widows were oftentimes without, this is the point of the parable, that widows were often without protector or advocate. They, widows oftentimes, they didn't have their own family to watch out for them and they'd have to be under the family of someone else. So they oftentimes didn't have someone who could protect them or advocate on their behalf. In the Old Testament, there were three types of people that are, that are, that are um, especially among the prophets, where they say you got to pay special attention to these because they don't have protector or advocate. And that's widows, orphans, and those who are traveling through your country, sojourners. And you'll find out that the, the nation of Israel gets in big trouble because they don't, there are times where they don't treat widows, orphans, and sojourners well because these people have no protector and no advocate on their behalf. And so when Jesus tells a story, he's telling the story of a woman who lost her husband and is obviously at a point where she does not have a protector or an advocate. So what does she do? She goes to the city, the town, to, to whoever is appointed as the judge of matters that relate to right and wrong. Usually a judge would sit at the gate of a town or a city, and you would go and you would request of them an audience, and you would put your case before them, and then they, because they were influential men in the city, they would then work the, they would work the, the levers of justice out to make a right decision. Now in this case, Here's what it says. She, so she's gone to the one place where she can hope for protection and an advocate. And she says, give me justice against my adversary. So in the parable, and this wouldn't have been, that this, this, this woman who is powerless, has no advocate and no protector, has been taken advantage of by somebody in the town, in the city. So she goes to the judge and she asks him to make it right. And he refuses because what does he care? What does he care? He doesn't respect God, and he doesn't respect man. Now, you might think like, hey, this is not the biblical world. This is the biblical world. Now, whether this is a Jewish judge or a Gentile judge, this is a judge who is basically like, and I don't know if you know anybody like this, the status quo is the best. Does anybody experience this? Do you know anybody like this? And I'm not, don't look at anyone else. Like, don't rock the boat. I'm doing just fine here as judge. This woman, she's either going to make work for me or she's going to make me, like, put pressure on somebody. Look, I, and look, do I have a sense of right and wrong? I don't respect God. Like, I don't care about your God. What do I care? 
Now, it might sound harsh, and certainly town by town, you might have different levels of justice or region, but in this case, this, was, this would not have been an un- this would not have been a strange image or a strange thing that was going on, this judge who doesn't care. So she simply, so this is what she does. She simply persists in coming. And look at 18.4. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The words there imply that she keeps bugging him. She keeps bothering him. She keeps showing up and causing trouble. She keeps showing up and causing a scene. Maybe a good word is she is browbeating him. She shows up wherever he shows up. He goes out to dinner, she's there. He's at the gate, she's there. She is persistent. And his concern is that she will wear him down. Literally, and this is where commentators are a little, like, it literally says, I, I'm concerned lest she beat me. Like, the, actually, the, the, the literal sense of that is that she gives me a black eye, that she actually sw- takes a swing at me. But I think it's metaphorical here. Okay, I'm going to give the widow a a break, although I wouldn't put it past some people, right? Like, you know, but the idea is that she will, she will wear me down with her, she'll be a nuisance. She'll browbeat me. And if I really want to get back to the status quo, I got to get, I got to take care of her first. I will give her justice because she is persistent. And this is, the first, this is the first thing I want to hear about these two parables, these two stories about prayer, is this, that if, we're ta- if Jesus is talking about prayer, and this is an analogy for prayer, and there's a point where analogies break down, and we'll talk about that as we get into our third point, but the first point is this, that there's something about prayer that calls for persistence. This is the first point. The first parable is making some point about persistence. Look at 18.1, and 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 this is kind of, when Luke is commenting on Jesus' parable, this is what he says to kick the parable off in 18.1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Persistence seems to be the point of Luke recounting this parable. The persistence of the widow going to the one who can be her advocate over and over is an image of prayer. Let me say that again. The image of the widow going over and over to the one who can be her advocate is an image of prayer. And I would just say this. Persistence in prayer is difficult. And it might be difficult for different reasons. Sometimes we pray for things. Sometimes we pray for things. And we go to God on one occasion and we pray for something. But then we see no movement about that in our lives. We ask God and we don't see any movement. So we go back to him and we ask again. But we see no movement on something. And maybe after a time, two, three, four, five, a week, a month, a year, 
we grow weary of asking about the same thing. Persistence is difficult. It can be difficult to come again and again about the same matter, and we don't see things moving in the direction that we would like, or even we see them moving backwards in some cases, whatever that thing is. Now, sometimes persistence is also hard because sometimes simply building a habit of prayer, I don't know if you've experienced this like I have, but building a habit of prayer can be difficult. Like, when do you do it? And maybe you start in the morning, but then there are certain times where you have to stay up late at night and getting up early is hard, and building a habit over, over time is difficult to do. Even in my, own, in my own life, my own prayer life, I, I tend, and, um, and this is after 25 years of marriage, my wife can attest to this, that I'm kind of a spurty guy. I'm spurty, especially with cleaning, like cleaning the house. I'm spurty. Like, I'll kind of like le- let things go, but then I'll have a spurt of cleaning. Does anybody like that in here? I don't know. Okay, I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm alone in my shame. That's okay. All right? But in a lot of ways, my own, my own spiritual life, I, I tend to look at my spirituality, I tend to look like projects. Like, I'm going to do, like the whole idea of, I, I hear these stories of people who like, you know, they, they, they woke up every morning and on their knees and they had photos of everybody and they prayed with them and when the person died, they were found with a, a photo in their hand because that's, you know, it was like they were praying and, you know, that's not, I don't think that's my, that doesn't feel like my story. And I'm not saying that that's neither right or wrong. I'm saying that the way I tend to look at my spiritual life tends to be about projects. Like I'll think, hey, this is, I'll read a book and I'll say, I want to go, I want to do it like this book for a while. I want, I want to go about like a project this way. Or I want to spend the next six months doing this. Or like praying in the morning or praying, uh, praying in the sanctuary or pray, wherever it is, in the, however we might look at it. And I don't know how you kind of approach your spirituality or even your Bible reading. Maybe sometimes you read through the Bible and maybe you do this. Maybe you start in Genesis and you work your way to Revelation and you wake up at 6 a.m. every morning and you read two chapters a day or five chapters a day and you do that and then when you're done with Revelation, you go back to Genesis, you do the same thing over and over again. Or maybe prayer is the same way. You have a, a journal and you've been doing it for 50, 60 years the same way and that's awesome. But I also know that there might be times where you might have started a prayer journal and it didn't take, right? You went on to something else. You're trying something else. And look, I would just say this. It can be hard to be persistent. I would just say keep at it. Keep trying new things. Keep trying. Go back to things. Try them out. I think the idea is that we keep persistence. And persistence is the point of the parable. Sometimes life can just become wearisome. Sometimes life can just be like, like my week this week is like, I don't even know where to begin to take things to the Lord. I mean, do I go local? Do I go national? Do I go international? Do I just think about my own family? Like, where do I even start? And there can be just weariness, a a great weariness or a great grief and so with this parable, look, again, there, there's no, I, I just want to acknowledge that the persistence of the widow going to the one who can advocate for her, um, that can be a difficult thing to do. But the prayer, nonetheless, the point that Jesus is trying to make, or at least one of the points that Jesus is trying to make, is that part of prayer is persistence. And this parable is an invitation 
to prayer, particularly the faithful work of persistent prayer. And I think this is, this is what I want to, as we, we kind of, we're going to begin to transition to the next parable, but the idea is that persistence is a sign of faithfulness. Persistence is a sign of faithfulness. Okay? Now, as we go through these two parables and we look at these, these things, there might be various things that come to mind. Like, you're like, hey, this is a way maybe I could be more persistent. But, or this is something that, that comes to my mind when I think about persistence in prayer. This is something that I think I want to adopt in, into my own life, my own spirituality. But the point here is that persistence is part of prayer and persistence in prayer is a sign of faithfulness. Look at how Jesus ends this parable in Luke 18.8. He says, at the very last line, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith or faithfulness on earth? When Jesus returns, he asks, will Jesus find people who are persistently coming to him? Will Jesus find people that are continually bringing the cares and concerns of this world to him? And so this is the invitation. The invitation is pray like the widow, the persistent widow, and persistence is a sign of faithfulness. All right, fair enough. That's our first, that's our first story. Now, there's, there's something else about this story, and we're going to get to it on our, on our third point, but for right now, persistence is the word, okay? Fair, fair enough. Like, I hope I haven't misread the parable, but persistence seems to be what, what's going on here. Okay, let's look at the next one. Turn back to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. And I'm going to read this parable. And once you find it, if you would, again, in honor of God and his word, let's stand together. We don't always do two, a twofer, but hey, we're gonna, we'll do a twofer today. Luke chapter 11 beginning in verse 5, and it says this. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door is shut, my children are with me in bed, I can't get up, I can't give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is God's word. Amen and amen. You may take a seat. So our first parable is about persistence. The second parable is a little more difficult. And there have been some commentators that have kind of conflated the two parables together and said both of these are about persistence. But this parable is not as much about persistence. And there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in this parable about hospitality in the ancient world and what happens when a friend comes from out of town unexpectedly and friendship obligations and honor shame uh, and the culture of the, the Mediterranean region and all... For this flyover, we can't get into all of that. But one thing we can all relate to is what your response would be if last night 
at midnight, someone knocked on your door. I don't know what you were doing at midnight. I was asleep. And I know what happens when someone knocks on my door unexpectedly, like the adrenaline shoots, right? You might experience this. You're, un- you're not expecting somebody there. You don't know. It depends on how loud they're, lo- they're knocking. Like I remember one, I remember one um, when we were... Uh, when we were living in our, uh, our condo that we were living in, in Irvine, and um, we had actually borrowed someone's um, car. It was actually a, a, a Porsche. Um, they, they, were, they had said, we, we need an extra car, and they were like, well, I have, this, I have this Porsche Boxster. It was a convertible. And they were like, hey, why don't you just drive this? And I'm like, ah, I don't think I can. No, okay, okay I will. Yeah, so, um, so I said, okay. So we, par- we, we were parking outside, and... Um, and at about five in the morning, this was the first day of school, I remember this was the first day of school, I heard the loudest knocking on my door that I ever heard. And it was the police. And they, when they knock on your door with the police, they don't knock with their hand, they knock with their club. Kung, 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 kung. It's 5 a.m. And they, were, and they came to, the, and I walked to the door, and again, adrenaline, shh, right? And, uh, and I said, uh, Hello? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, uh, do you own a Porsche? And I said, um, well, we're borrowing a Porsche. He said, well, it caught fire last night. Well, it actually, it, it turned out to be arson. Somebody came by and put a rag in the, and lit it on fire. I know, this is crazy. It, it's totally crazy. And actually, this person had done this to a couple of cars in the neighborhood. They were all convertibles. Uh, that's a long story. But the whole point is that, what do you do when you get an unexpected knock at the door? adrenaline immediately and you can imagine it's at 5 a.m it's like well now i'm up i'm gonna stay up and i got adrenaline going through my veins but it's midnight what if it happened at midnight like how do i get back like what am i gonna do like i don't want to get out of bed i don't want to open things up i don't want especially if i can't just flip a light switch i can't just like i'll have to light a lamp i'll wake up the whole family etc etc and that's the image that we have here is someone who comes at an unexpected hour and knocks hey is anybody up well now i'm up Right? So, and, and this idea that the, the story here says the man's request would be granted. Now, because he's a reluctant neighbor, he's a sleepy, reluctant neighbor. Previously, we had, a, we had an unjust judge, but now we have a sleepy and reluctant neighbor. Sorry, I still, I still remember scraping the plastic bits off of the ground to the person who owned the car. It was awesome. It was just an amazing experience. Okay, away from the Porsche, the shell of a Porsche. Um, But, okay, so it says, now, this is where, again, I love love the English Standard Version. It's It's a great translation of the Bible. I don't think they do us any favors in this parable, okay? Does anybody know what impudence means? It's a word that we don't use in the English language anymore. It might, it might technically mean the right thing, but we don't use it here. So um, ESV says impudence. Now, the New American Standard, they conflate the two parables that we just read, and they translate the word as persistence. Because of his persistence, the guy will get up and get himself. But that's not the point. The word is not about persistence. NIV says because of his boldness, the man will give him something. The, the Common English Bible says because of his brashness. And the word literally there is the word no shame, shamelessness. 
that the man who knocks at midnight is shameless, that he doesn't care, he doesn't care about the good opinion of others, he's impertinent, Uh, he is ignoring convention, it's not conventional, it's conventional to ask your neighbor like earlier in the day for bread, and if you lived in a village, you know who's baking bread on what day, by the way, because you can smell it. You can smell who's baking bread during the day, and so he knows where to go at midnight, but it's not conventional to ask at midnight. Knocking on a neighbor's door at midnight and asking for groceries is unconventional. Having disregard for reputation, I think a better word, is because of his audacity. It's audacious. It's bold. Now imagine yourself doing it, not someone at your door doing it. Now imagine you doing it, and you get a sense of the kind of audacity that you might need to work up in order to make that request. Now the rule here, the rule here in this parable is asking. And this is a good, this is a good, we'll get to what what this is, but just a reminder. And I told, when we were, um, uh, my first vision message at Taft, this was the um, January of 2019, the first, my first year at the church, this parable, we talked about this parable and we talked about one of our values and we'll talk about that in a second, but, um, but the rule here with prayer is asking. Asking, asking is the only currency that we have to trade with God. When we pray, we have to ask because we have no other currency to offer him. It's not like we can say, hey God, I got 500 bucks here if you'll grant this request. He's like, I don't do money. Like, I'll give money, I don't need money. So there's nothing we trade. It's not like I can say, hey God, I've been good. Can you grant me this? We don't get that currency with him. We have nothing to barter with when we come to God. We have nothing to trade. We have no currency to offer him. The only currency we have in the kingdom of God is asking. It's the only thing that God respects of us. He doesn't respect our wealth. He doesn't respect how good we think we are. He doesn't respect any of that. What he respects is asking. Not only does he respect it, he rejoices with it. We earn nothing. Nothing is owed to us. God freely gives. The only currency we have with God is our ability to ask. I mean, we might rather be wage earners in the kingdom, but we can only ask. And in this parable, the invitation to prayer is to pray like a man asking for groceries at midnight with audacity, with boldness, with a disregard for convention. If the first parable is about persistence and persistence is a sign of faithfulness, this parable is about in prayer boldness and audacity in prayer. 
and boldness and audacity in prayer, if persistence is a sign of faithfulness, boldness is a sign of intimacy. Boldness, being shameless with God is a sign that God, you already know me. You know me well enough. Persistence is the first parable. Boldness, audacity is the second parable. Boldness, shamelessness, audacity is the way children make requests to their parents, to a father. And I guess just as we, as we think about invitation, to just ask the question, when was the last time you asked God for something with audacity? When was the last time you came to him and you said, look, this doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to ask for it anyway? God, I got no business asking for this, but I'm still asking because I'm your son, because I'm your daughter, because I know you're my father. As a matter of fact, in the parable, right before this parable, in Luke chapter 11, the the whole chapter begins when the, the disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray. And what does Jesus say? When you pray, say this, Father, in heaven. He could have said anything. He could have said, judge, creator. He says, Father. When you pray, the first word out of your mouth needs to be Father because you need to remember that your relationship is not one with an unjust judge or a sleepy friend. Your relationship is with a Father. And then at the very end, in verse 11, right after the parable, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? If he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And this is where our third point comes in. If the first parable is about persistence and the second parable is about praying with audacity, Both of the parables are are teaching a different thing about our role in this, right? Persistence in the one, boldness in the other. And it it deserves reflection on our part. Where am I being called to be persistent or where am I being called to be bold in prayer? But what both of these parables have in common is this phrase at the end of Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, how much more? How much more? And that's this. Both of these parables, if the first offers the invitation to persistent prayer, the second offers the invitation to bold, bold, bold prayer, they both have the implication of how much more. In the first parable, the widow makes a request over and over again to an unjust judge, right? And she eventually wears him down. And the point of the parable might not simply be to be persistent or to pester God to wear him down. Like that's not, the point of the parable is like, well, God's just like the unjust judge, is it? That's not the point. The parable is, if the widow wears down the unjust judge, then how much more will God, who's not an unjust judge, but your loving, caring, advocating heavenly father, how much more Will he speedily come to your aid? 
Yes, persistence in prayer, but you're not praying to an unjust judge. How much more will your heavenly Father, who is ready to hear your prayer, ready to advocate on your behalf, ready to act on your behalf, rejoicing that you're asking, how much more should we come to him? In the second parable, a man knocks on his neighbor's door at midnight asking for groceries. And his groggy, sleepy, reluctant neighbor And the point of the parable is not to ask for outlandish things to your your reluctant neighbor. You're not making, you are making requests to a father who is not groggy and sleepy and reluctant. You are making requests to a father who is awake at midnight waiting to hear from you. He does not sleep. He's not He's not holding you back. He is watching over you while you sleep. And when you awake in whatever sense, whatever, whatever place you're at, when you awake and you go to him, he says, he rejoices that you come. And he says, yes, give, I will give, ask, I will give, ask the door, ask, seek, knock. I will give how much more. Both the parables teach us something different, but they both teach the same thing. We are not coming to an unjust judge. We're not coming to a reluctant, groggy neighbor. We are coming to a watchful father who rejoices that his children come, who says, yes, be persistent. Yes, be bold and audacious. He is your father. Like I said, when I first came and the first vision message I gave, we had these four values that we were trying to instill into our body. And I think we're, we're aspiring into them. But the first of them with this parable was anticipating that God will move. Why are we even here? Why do we make space? Why do we put time aside on a Sunday morning to worship? Why do we put time aside on Sunday morning to hear from God's word? Why has a space been built? Why is this campus here? The reason why we are here is we anticipate that God wants to do something in this community, in our lives, in our state, in our nation. We are anticipating that God will move. It's why we do everything we do. We don't just come here to go through the motions. We anticipate that God will move. And so when we anticipate that God will move, we ask that he would And we ask with boldness. We ask with audacity. God, we have no business asking for this. We've made mistakes in the past. I've made mistakes in the past. I have no business being here. I have no business offering this. We have no business asking God, but God, would you move in this community? Would every man, woman, and child in the city of Orange hear the gospel? Would every person know that God sees them and God loves them? God, would you, would you do something in our midst that we might address the homeless issue in our community? Would you do something in our midst that we might open, you might open our eyes that there's human trafficking going on in our community? 
Would you open our eyes that we might hate our neighbors, that we would love them, that you would do something in our hearts, that you would release the life-changing power of the gospel? Like, these are the kind of audacious things. We pray that every person around here would be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why someone built this building. That's why Bob Welch donated his property in 1962. That's why we built that building over there. That's why we got the carpet cleaned over there. That's why we, like, this is why we do stuff. Not because it's, it's happy and it's the status quo and it just makes me feel good. And if they sing the songs I like, then I'll love it. But if they don't, then ah, I don't know if I'm going to do this. Like, we do it because we're anticipating that God wants to pour out his Holy Spirit on this place, in this community, and that lives would be changed. Lives would be transformed. Why are we doing this? Because God says, you ask and you receive. I love it when you ask. Come and ask me. And ask me over and over and over and over again. Be persistent, be bold, because I am not like the unjust judge. And again, if we're here, I don't want, there's no guilt here. I don't want to, this is not about guilt, but I do want to ask the question. As you've been sitting here, maybe, maybe it's the issue of persistence that has kind of hit you. Like, man, I need, to, I need to get on a routine. I need to get back on a routine. I need to be praying for my neighbors. I need to be praying. Whatever it is that you feel like God is moving you to pray about, maybe that's, like, maybe you're there and you're like, I need to get back on routine. I need to pray. I need to ask God that he would move in these areas. Or maybe you're like, look, I pray for all kinds of things, and I'm praying for, you know, Aunt Reba's foot, and I'm praying for so-and-so's hip, and I'm praying, but I need to pray for more audacious things. Like, there's more audacious things for me to pray for than just somebody's procedure that's going on. And maybe, maybe as you're here, you're like, look, what I need to do, I, I know I pray persistently, but what I need to do is I need to, God needs to teach me how to pray audaciously. God, would you put something audacious on my heart to pray for? Maybe it's persistence, maybe it's audacity or boldness, or maybe, maybe you're like me and it's, sometimes it's hard to think about God as a father. I mean, I kind of think of God as like the highway patrolman on the freeway who's got the, the radar gun. And like, if he, he's just gonna gun me, like, man, you were going 56 and I don't go anywhere near 56. It's way above that. Um, but maybe you're like, Maybe he, your, your view of God is sometimes like mine, that God's just behind the, behind the billboard, hiding out, waiting for you to speed by so that he can turn the lights on and, 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 and go get you. That's not, by the way, that's, that, you, could tell a par, you could tell another parable about that, right? If the cop lets you off, then how much more, right? Well, God. But maybe we do need to confess, like, I'm not thinking about God as my loving father. I don't think of God as at the ready to hear me. And that's where we just say, look, I, I gotta confess. I gotta confess and I gotta repent. I, gotta, I have to reorient towards a proper view of who God is. He's your father who loves you. He rejoices that you come. He sent his son so you would. He loves it when you come over and over. He is, he's attentive. He's awake at midnight waiting for you. So ready to give. I don't know what it is. I don't know what has stood out to you. Persistence, boldness, a new view of God. But whatever it is, let's just, let's take a couple of seconds, take a minute or so as I invite the worship team to come back up, just to reflect, like what is God putting on your heart about prayer 
today. Let's just take a second just and reflect and just ask God, what, what are you putting on my heart? And maybe God is calling you to persistence. Maybe there's something in your life that you were praying for, but you kind of, you've grown weary over time, and you're like, I don't know if I can keep praying for that. And maybe it's time to change your prayer. But maybe it's also time that you pick it back up again. It's on your heart, it's on your mind. Take it to God. Maybe it's just about boldness, audacity, that you're like, my prayers have been too small, and I need to pray for bigger things. No shame, no guilt. The Spirit is moving, and it's just an invitation. Or maybe right now, you just need to confess to God, God, I have not been thinking about you the right way. I've been thinking about you, you've been distant. I, felt you, I, I feel like you're distant or I feel like you keep me at arm's length. Um, I feel like I'm on, the, I'm on the side. I don't feel like we have a relationship, whatever that is. And just to confess that to God and just ask God to reveal a proper view of who he is. He's a father, attentive, ready, rejoicing that you come. He's a father, just, good, and patient. He's a father, joyful that you see him as a father and ready to share a few moments with him. He's a father, so happy to hear your heart, your dreams, your requests. Father, we love you. Draw us closer to yourself. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and his example in prayer. And thank you for your Holy Spirit, who when we do not know how to pray, your Holy Spirit helps us with groanings and words that we do not understand. So we love you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name.